0: You're listening to Collegiate Chaos. Here are your hosts, Matt Levine, Ben Dixon, and Sam Ostry.
1: Welcome to the first ever edition of Collegiate Chaos, an all new podcast for WMUC Sports Radio. We got three hosts here, Matt Levine, Ben Dixon, and Sam Ostry with you. This podcast is going to cover all things college football, college basketball, some betting lines mixed in there, but uh, I'm really happy to be here with you guys and start this off. I'm
0: finally
2: recording. I'm excited. Let's get to it. And I'm stoked. We're supposed to start last week. We're finally getting going now, and uh, happy to be here with you guys.
0: Week two of the Big Ten. Let's, let's get to it.
1: So we'll first take a look at sort of a recap of last week. Not too much of a recap, more of a preview to this week in the Big Ten, but just kind of overall thoughts on Maryland's loss to Northwestern this past Saturday, a 43-3 to loss.
2: I mean, it wasn't good. It's not what you want the first game of the season. Uh, especially if you're Maryland coming in with a new quarterback, a revamped roster. It really just, that epitome of what you don't want in the first game of the season. Uh, Talia Tugavalo did not look great. Uh, We're hoping he can bounce back this week. Uh, The Defense gave up 43 points, over 300 rushing yards. Uh, Really not a great performance for the Terps, but um, we're hoping they can bounce back Friday, homecoming and uh, give a better showing on national TV in primetime once again versus Minnesota.
0: Yeah, I mean, Dixon said it, it was ugly, ugly from the start to the very end. The thing about this, this Maryland team is very young. Um, Dixon just talked about their quarterback. He's, he's a young quarterback. Their entire, entire roster is very young. It's gonna You have to be patient with this team. Northwestern is not a very good football team. There's very few wins on the, on the schedule that I see coming easy. But you just have to be patient and this might be the deepest conference all of football it's going to be a tough year but the recruiting class for next year is supposed to be one of mike loxley's best so you just got to stay patient and see what happens the rest of the way yeah
1: definitely a frustrating loss and especially when you travel for the first time in pretty much almost a year go to pretty much you're going to chicago right outside chicago that's a decent flight from here in college park and you just get the doors blown off of you it could take some steam out of the ship but i think coming back in having a short week kind of helps them in a way just mentally to kind of move on from that loss and the next day just start preparing for minnesota this week um but when you have let's say they had a bye week which there's no bye weeks this week but if they did have a bye week after that loss that kind of sits with you for another week and you don't want that especially in a short season so just having the ability to move on quickly I think, helps
0: them. And now they have a pretty tough test this coming week on Friday night. Yeah, the line opened up uh, Maryland-Minnesota at minus 20 and a half. It's moved out to minus 19 and a half. That seems low, given Minnesota's one of the top teams in the Big Ten this year, and especially given Maryland's performance last week. But Minnesota's missing a few players with um, due to COVID, and they struggled against a good Michigan team. So, I mean, the line seems low, but I don't – it's going, to be, it's going to be a tough one for Maryland to compete in this one.
2: Yeah, I mean, while Maryland's coming in off a of big loss, so is Minnesota. They lost by 25 points in prime time. College game day comes to Minnesota. They lose to Michigan by 25 at home. And, I mean, they're really not a team you look at who's a walkover because they were, did go 11-2 and last year. They won the Outback Bowl versus Auburn. I mean, this was a team that had college football playoff aspirations out of nowhere. Uh, heading into their game against Wisconsin last year. Obviously, we know how that turned out. They didn't end up even making the Big Ten championship game. But this is still a team that returns Tanner Morgan, their star quarterback, even though he was not great last week, 18-31, for less than 200 yards, a touchdown and an interception. And they also returned a star wide receiver, Rashad Bateman, who initially opted out of the season. He's back. He had 1,200 yards last year and 100 yards last week. And they do return their star running back, Muhammad Ibrahim. 140 yards and two touchdowns versus Michigan last week. One of the low and bright spots in that blowout loss. But this is a talented Minnesota roster. I'm sure they'll be coming in hungry to College Park Friday night. And these are two teams looking to bounce back after terrible losses last week. And we'll we'll see how that goes. But Minnesota is clearly the much better team here. They're favored by 20 for a reason. And the Terps got a really a big opponent on their plate and a lot to deal with coming into Friday. Well, it's kind of sort of ironic that
1: these two teams have played each other. It's now the fifth straight year, I think. Um, And that's a crossover from the Big Ten West to the Big Ten East. You don't really see that too much. Like, Maryland's only played Northwestern twice in their entire program history. So just a team that I guess they're more familiar with. Um, Last time Minnesota came into College Park, it was one of Maryland's largest Big Ten victories by margin of victory ever. Obviously, that team is much different now. Um, But... This, this Minnesota team was really good last year. They lost a lot of their defense, so I think Maryland's offense is going to have an easier time. I thought they would have had an easier time against Northwestern, but I think this is the game where Maryland's offense sees some, some light at the end of that tunnel and starts to break out of this slump. Obviously, it's only a one-week slump so far, but I think they're going to come out of it. They're going to score a decent amount of points, but Minnesota's
0: offense I think is too strong for this Maryland defense. Yeah, and, and we know Minnesota struggled against Michigan last week, but the one thing they did do well is control and dominate both the lines of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. I mean, they have a great uh, defensive front, and we know Maryland's O-line is weak. We saw it in week one. We saw Talia um, st- um, struggling to had really buy any time for himself, and he had to make quick decisions. That's going to be the same case this um, this week. Minnesota is just going to Get to the quarterback quickly. He's not gonna have a lot of time to make decisions, He's gonna have to make quick reads. I ex- expect to see that.
2: Yeah, I mean that's a good point you make, Sam, with the uh the possession there. I mean, Minnesota, even though they lost by twenty-five points, they can had possession for thirty-six minutes of the game compared to only Michigan's twenty-four. So yeah, not only did they control the temple and have the ball, they had more first downs than Michigan did. Uh but they still lost by 25. I mean, the score is the only thing that matters at the end of the day. But if they can control the possession, can control the tempo against Maryland, uh, it's, it's not a good outlook for the Terps. But we'll see what happens.
1: And this running back for Minnesota, Mohamed Ibrahim, is one that one of the best defenders on Maryland's defense is familiar with. Iende Ile went to high school with him. So mm-hmm. they've played each other a few times now in college. They know, I guess, it could be a sort of an advantage for Ile to know what Ibrahim's going to bring. But Loxley said yesterday, this guy is a very low to the ground runner, um, low sense of gravity there. So I think he's going to be a little, he's going to be a big problem for Maryland's defense. But just having that familiarity can help a lot, especially with a guy you're familiar with just from high school and all those years.
2: Right. You talk about Ibrahim and just Minnesota's running scheme in general. Uh, Under new offensive coordinator Mike Sanford, I was reading this past week. Uh, they've been going with a new two running back formation where they line up uh, Tanner Morgan in the pistol, and they use kind of Ibrahim as the lead back and Trey Potts as the fullback, even though he's still getting carries. And as we know last week, the Terps did not fare well on the ground defense with giving up 325 rush yards to Northwestern. And you bring in a star like Ibrahim, it could uh, end up being difficult for Maryland to stop him. And when Minnesota throws new looks at him, it makes it even tougher. And when
1: you mix in a guy like Rashad Bateman at receiver, he's going to be a future first-round pick after the season. He opted out, came back in. That's a huge piece for Minnesota's offense. And while he didn't find the end zone in week one, he still had nine catches for 101 yards. So he's a guy that even if he's not scoring touchdowns, he's still going to be all over the field, getting yards, getting receptions, creating plays, doing whatever. That's going to be the toughest test for Maryland's secondary. And I think that starts with the linebackers and the defensive line getting to Tanner Morgan and ch- trying to stop the passing game in some way, throw it off. Um, but it's going to be tough going up against Bateman one-on-one. Even double coverage there, he's just so much better than
2: a lot of the Big Ten defenders are. And you can imagine Maryland's going to throw a bunch of different corners at him too, whatever they can, double teams, different guys on an island just to try and stop him, try and get in his head. But Bateman, he's a weapon.
0: Like we said last that- Like we said earlier, this is a developmental year for Maryland. We just want to see them week to week, try to improve, especially the quarterback on both sides of the ball. We just want to try to see them get better week to week and try to build the program. After last week, there's not, not much lower you could get. So we'll move into another game around the Big Ten.
1: Michigan against Michigan State after that win against Minnesota. The Wolverines move up to number 13 in the country in the AP poll. This is the Fox Big Noon Saturday game, so a primetime game for these two in Week 2. Michigan State is just not Michigan State this year. So losing the Rutgers. <laughs> this is going to be, I think Michigan blows them out. Uh, I didn't think Michigan was as good as they are, but with Michigan State coming up this week, we could really see the Wolverines sort of pan out this week.
2: I mean, start off with Fox Noon, Big Saturday. I love seeing Gus Johnson on there. He really, Nothing really makes That's these robberies electric. But, I mean, you move on to this game. These two teams couldn't be coming into this this one with different narratives, with more different narratives. I mean, I mean Michigan State with an 11-point home loss to Rutgers. That was Rutgers' first Big Ten win since 2017 when they beat Maryland. Snapped the second-longest Big Ten winless streak ever. And Michigan's coming in with a 25-point win on the road in prime time against a team like Minnesota. So these two teams are really at different states. You look at Michigan with the new quarterback, Joe Milton, coming in with a lot of promise this year. and Michigan State really on the opposite end of the spectrum, Rocky Lombardi, their quarterback. Nothing really to love there for Michigan State. I mean, their leading roster against Rutgers was Simmons, who had 14 carries for 43 yards, compared to Michigan, who really put up 481 yards of total offense against Minnesota. So these two teams really are at different states. You love for this rivalry to be healthy and good and a game that's going to be good, but I don't. I don't know if I really see it this Saturday. Yeah, I mean,
0: this line, this line is huge for a reason. I don't expect it to be close from start to finish. Michigan, a lot of uh, against Minnesota last week. A lot of people were high on Minnesota coming into week one of the Big Ten. Michigan just came out with a strong punch, and Minnesota they really just blew them out. Um, Michigan's a good football team. I mean, they're a lot of. They've kind of disappointed in some people's eyes under Jim Harbaugh. But this, this, this is a good football team that's going to compete for the entire Big Ten championship, I think, even even with Ohio State.
1: And with a new quarterback in Joe Milton, I just looked it up. He's actually two pounds less than Cam Newton and the same height at 6'5", 243 pounds, which is actually absurd for a college player. I mean, I don't think Cam Newton, he was big in college, but he wasn't huge like he is now. So Milton already that size in college is tremendous. Um, that in itself is hard to get to the quarterback. He has a strong arm. He's a good player. He showed it in week one against Minnesota. But I think that, I mean, Michigan State's defense is weak as well. Minnesota's defense lost seven guys after last season that were important players. So I think that could potentially, as I said earlier, be a good look for Maryland's offense going up against Minnesota this week. But Michigan, I I think they're just going to torment the Spartans.
0: And they're dealing with some COVID absences.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is just – I didn't even think Michigan State would be this bad, Um, but they just – it seemed like they were giving the ball to Rutgers. They weren't even – it didn't look like they were mistakes. They were just giving the football to them.
2: Oh, fumbles. And, I mean, it really is hard to imagine the state of Michigan State right now where they did make the playoff, albeit in a blowout to Alabama a few years back, and now they're sitting at the bottom of the Big Ten. You could argue they're the worst team in the Big Ten. Uh, But it really is remarkable to see their – quote-unquote, fall from grace, but hoping for a good one Saturday. Not sure we'll see it. And
1: we'll go to Purdue against Illinois in the Big Ten West, two teams that aren't great in the Big Ten West. You have, obviously, Minnesota and Wisconsin at the top of that division, but Purdue and Illinois sort of coming in.
2: I don't know how even this game is, but Purdue 1-0, Illinois 0-1. Yeah, I mean, Purdue with a, a big win over Iowa in Week 1. Rondell Moore, their best player, a potential, maybe not Heisman candidate because Purdue may not, may not be good enough for him to win, but he's one of the most electric and exciting players in all college football. Didn't play Week 1. His status still up in the air going to this game against Illinois. If he plays, that makes that a game you really want to see because Rondell Moore is going to be a player in the NFL for a long time to come, in my opinion. Uh, an electric returner, running back, receiver, you can throw him anywhere on the field. He makes plays happen. And uh, Purdue's looking to really be 2-0. Jeff Brom, I mean, Purdue at 2-0 is not really something you'd expect, especially with a big win over Iowa in Week 1 where they were underdogs. And But they are favored by 7 against Illinois team that they really should beat if they have any aspirations of playing in a bowl game this year. But uh, hopefully it's a good one. Purdue's favored by 7. We'll see what happens. That's on Big Ten Network at 12. Not necessarily big noon Saturday, and it will be competing with the other games in that slate, but hopefully a good game there. When Illinois
0: hired Lovey Smith in 2016, and there were high expectations coming. I mean, that's a, a credible uh, NFL head coach. High expectations to turn that program around. It really hasn't happened much. They're usually at the middle to the bottom of the Big Ten. They have been um, for a few years now since he's been there. And I don't. This isn't a good football team this year. The Purdue Purdue impressed quite a bit against Iowa, who I was high on coming into the season. And so I think Purdue takes care of them handily this week. Yeah, and we saw in week one,
1: Wisconsin just blew the doors off of Illinois. There was no offense there for the fighting Illini. There was no defense as well. Obviously, Wisconsin's one of the best teams in the country. And they had a phenomenal performance from their quarterback, freshman quarterback, Graham Mertz. We'll get to that later, the new story developing there. But I think Purdue comes out and, I don't think they'll blow the doors off of Illinois, but they'll certainly get a win here, in my opinion. Um, Just especially after the momentum riding after you beat Iowa. Any game, you're an underdog, and then the way Illinois lost to Wisconsin in Week 1. Just kind of like Michigan and Michigan State, just two narratives of Purdue kind of hopefully on the rise in their case, and Illinois seeming to be on the fall to the bottom of the Big Ten West.
2: Right, I mean, if Purdue has any
1: real aspirations, they'll, they'll win this game. And then another game in the Big Ten, number 17 now, the Indiana Hoosiers at Rutgers. Indiana with arguably the biggest upset of last week, all around college football, beating Penn State.
2: I mean, Sam and I were watching that one together. I mean, it came down to that two-point conversion. Love the call by Indiana. Was he in, was he, was he not? Who knows? The call of the field would have stood on any situation there. But you look at this Indiana team, Michael Penix with with a very good performance for the Hoosiers. Uh, Only 170 yards and a touchdown and interception, but really brought that winning mentality into last week to beat Penn State. That's a signature win. And now they're ranked, and they're playing a Rutgers team that's 1-0. All of a sudden, a big game early on in this 8-game Big Ten slate before the ninth game. I mean, who knows what kind of impact this could have, but it's definitely a bigger game than we thought it would be heading into week two.
0: Yeah, Rutgers finally got a win, win in the Big Ten. It has been years, as uh, Ben mentioned earlier. But this Indiana team is hot off a, a huge upset. That line, plus six and a half, when we got to um, against Penn State last week, and we get to Penn State in a little bit. Penn State was out without their um, starting running back originally, and then Noah Kane, their starting running back uh, for last week, went down. So Penn State was undermanned, but Indiana took advantage of it. And they obviously was as Ben said, it was an amazing finish. They're they're a good team. Rutgers get off of the first win in the Big Ten. I don't see them really competing with Indiana, but we'll see. It should be a good one. And as Ben said, it's a lot gonna be a lot more eyes on this one than it would have been last week. And this is an important game for both teams. If Indiana wants
1: to compete at the top of the Big Ten East with a team like Michigan and a team like I don't know if they'll compete with Ohio State, but just sort of being up there and not towards the bottom where they've historically usually been in the Big Ten. And as for Rutgers, if they get a win here, 2-0, and they're sitting towards the top as well. And it seems like I thought at the beginning of the year, Rutgers and Maryland will be the two teams at the bottom as they usually are sixth and seventh place in the Big Ten East. But I think if Rutgers gets a win here, that can sort of change. Uh, it seems like they're with a new coach, Greg Schiano, not a new coach, but his return to Rutgers. Uh, it, it seems like they're trending in the right direction, but Indiana was just phenomenal against Penn State. And do you guys think Penn State's overrated here, or were they just not, or was just Indiana too good for them?
2: I think it's a combination of them being overrated, not a playoff team this year, maybe a New Year's, new Year's 16 like they usually always are. But I also think it's a combination of them overlooking Indiana, a team that, like you said, usually lies at the bottom of the Big Ten.
0: Especially coming on, this is the look-ahead game. You have Ohio State. I mean, that's the matchup, Penn State, Ohio State, every year that everyone has their eyes on. You start off Week 1, you should never, Week 1 games should never be, oh, we're looking ahead. But when you have Ohio State lurking, that happens.
2: Right, and on the flip side of that, Indiana and Rutgers both want to know potential look-ahead, quote-unquote look-ahead opponents sitting at the bottom of the Big Ten. Obviously, they're not going to compete this year, but if you go 2-0, you can ch- you change that narrative in a second, and no one's going to look over you for the rest of the season.
1: Especially in a shortened season, nobody's going to look past you at all. But moving on to Northwestern at Iowa, another Big 10 West matchup there. Northwestern, as we said, beat Maryland. Iowa loses that close one in week one. Now they go up against each other. I think this is a good game. I didn't expect Northwestern to be as good as they were. Um, they are playing a young Maryland defense, but Still put up 43 points. I didn't think that was going to happen here. But I think it, it, this game is one of the more interesting ones of the week.
2: Yeah, neither did I. And I think this game, you're looking at an old-fashioned Big Ten battle where it's going to be low scoring. I know Northwestern did score 43 points last week. Can't see that happening again against a much better Iowa defense. I, I really do see a low scoring, grinded out, typical Big Ten game played in the, the 20s. And it will be close, in my opinion. I mean, the spread's 2.5 for a reason, Iowa's favored, And I think these are two teams where you think Iowa's going into the season better than Northwestern, probably should win this one by a touchdown, maybe more. But after Week 1, you're looking at these two teams now pretty evenly matched and should be a good one.
0: Absolutely. I completely agree. And that's the thing about the Big Ten, especially this year in a short season. It seems like all these teams in the middle the Big Ten, in the middle of the Big Ten, any of them can beat anyone on any given Saturday. And that's what's so great about this matchup because this is you would not have expected this line to be this low at two and a half but Northwestern ran all over Maryland last week Iowa another run run heavy team but Iowa on the defensive side is much better at stopping the run I would not expect Northwestern to uh, be able to run like they did last week all over um, like they did last week all over Maryland they're not going to do that against Iowa this week they're coming off a huge win against Maryland I don't think anyone expected them to win as much as they did I'll, I'll, I still see – I really like Iowa. They're off a tough loss. This is, this is going to be a close one. It's going to be a battle. But we'll see what happens on Saturday. This must be the closest spread between the Big Ten games.
1: Uh, I haven't looked at the Penn State-Ohio State spread, but just two and a half points, I'm assuming that's the closest one of the week. It so, is. as I said, this is a big game for both teams. Northwestern has a chance to go up 2-0. And Iowa trying to avoid falling to 0-2 because – as we said, with a short season, that can really hinder the rest of the way. Just after this game, six regular season games left and then that extra game. But I think this is an important one more for Iowa. Uh, coming off that tough loss where they lost 24-20, to you want to get that bounce back win at home. Obviously, there's no quote-unquote home field advantage because there's not fans in the stands. But still, you don't have to travel. You don't. You're staying in your apartment. The players are. So that's sort of the advantage they get here without the fans. Um, just playing on a field that they're more familiar with as well. So I think this is more important for them than it is Northwestern to get a win. I think Iowa does pull this one off. Uh, and I do think they'll cover. They'll win it by at least a field goal. So Northwestern, I don't know. I
0: don't know if that was a fluke in Week 1 just against Maryland. It was a weaker team. but I don't think Maryland could have played worse of a game. Yeah. So, I mean, Northwestern just saw them on the perfect day. But yeah, I, don't, I don't know if it was a fluke, but I don't think they're as good a team as Iowa, and I agree they're going to win and cover.
2: Yeah, to me, Northwestern's 500-team. I think Iowa's I better than that. 43-3 against Maryland, can't doubt that, but it was also a terrible performance in the third.
1: So we'll move into the primetime game of this week. We thought it would be Michigan, maybe thought it would be Michigan and Michigan State as like a close second primetime, but we see how bad Michigan State is, and now we have Ohio State, the third-best team in the nation in the AP poll. And number 18, Penn State going up against each other on college game day, primetime ESPN, 730. This has a chance to already be
0: the best game of the year. Yeah, I mean, you you said we weren't sure what this line was. This line is minus 12, a double-digit spread for Ohio State versus Penn State, which you have not expected a few weeks ago. That line if someone told you that line was gonna be a double-digit spread, that would have been ridiculous. But Penn State, as I said earlier, the projected starter in week one. He's out for an extended period of time. And then Noah Kane, the running back, in week one. Last week, he went down with a season-ending ACL injury. They love to run the ball. They're now on their third string running back. It's going to be tough. Ohio State is the top. They're the top of the Big Ten, and they're really right there at the top of all of college football. Penn State's coming off a demoralizing loss, and we talked about the call a little bit. I think it was the wrong call, but you never know. I mean, if this, this game's at Penn State with fans, this environment is usually electric. There's not going to be fans there. Penn, Ohio State's just on all three phases of the ball. They're going to dominate Penn State and this is this big of a
2: line for a reason. And this would have been the whiteout game for Penn State. Yep. It's always one of the most electric if not the most electric atmosphere in college football. When these two teams meet you can really throw away all the numbers. It's a big rivalry game. Everyone knows it's on the line. Penn State 0-1 Ohio State one know, but I know James Franklin always says to go one know this week. I'm sure that's the mindset going into this week against Ohio State at home. Their biggest game of the year could be the biggest game in all of college football this year, like you said, Matt. Ohio State minus 12, I mean, yeah, you do expect a close one. The fans would make a difference. I do see Ohio State winning big, to be honest with you. I mean, Ohio State is in midseason form. Their performance against Nebraska last week, 52-17, and Justin Fields only had to throw the ball 21 times for 20 completions out of 21 attempts. He's, he's coming for that Heisman. He could make a statement game here in that race. We'll see what happens in this game. I do like Ohio State big. Hopefully it's a good one because Chris Fowler, Kirk Herbstree, college game day, in-state college, really does not get better than that.
0: And I hate, I hate talking about what could have been with fans, but that whiteout, I mean, going to Penn State on that whiteout game, really any game in Penn State is absolutely packed house, and that's a hostile place to play. But it's not going to happen this year. So, we'll see what happens on Saturday.
1: I mean, in my opinion, Ohio State is right behind Clemson and Alabama yep. at the top of the entire country in college football. So, I think we all expect Ohio State to come out here. And I also didn't expect right before the season that Penn State would lose to Indiana and the spread would be double digits. But here we are. So, in a shortened season, it's so, it just, every game matters so much more. You don't really have those games where you can make a mistake. And you make it up, you make up for it in the standings because there's not many opportunities to do that. Um, so if a Penn State falls 0 and two, I don't know how they're gonna make that up.
0: But at, at the same time, I, mean, we, I think we all expect to see Ohio State in the college football playoff.. Yeah. And I mean if they lose this one, it's not
2: happening. I think it's a little weird in week two. you see this as a 318 matchup with Penn State being ranked 18th and Ohio State being ranked third especially with Penn State's high-ranking last week. I could have easily seen this as a, as a 3-10 or a 3-8 matchup if they go on the road in Indiana with an emphatic performance. Obviously, that's not the case, and Ohio State is right there with Batman and Clemson for the college football playoff, like you said, Matt. If Penn State does go to 0-2, the national spotlight's going to be off them for a little while until proven differently.
1: And one game in the Big Ten that got canceled this week and will not be made up is number 9, Wisconsin. At Nebraska, Wisconsin had some positive COVID test results within their program, players, coaches, staff members, and now they have to shut down for their facilities for a week. And the headline of that was their freshman quarterback, who had one of the best debuts in a long time last week against Illinois, test positive for coronavirus. It was confirmed with a lab test after that. And now with the Big Ten rules and and system that they're going with for COVID here he has to sit out 21 days with it which is three games and in a shortened season like that
0: that's tough yeah i mean and that policy i mean it's a ridiculous policy you can't tell me the sec is doing the same thing you can't tell me any conference or any sport or any any way walk of life is sitting out for 21 days because of a cop, uh, positive COVID test. I mean, the Big Ten have tried to be innovative, They've tried to be ahead of the curve every step of the way here. But, I mean, they're fumbling the ball. Like, it's not its not fair to these kids, especially Graham Mertz, who could have been a potential Heisman candidate, and Wisconsin could have been a Big Ten contender and a college football playoff contender. Now, he's, he's out. Their backup quarterback also tested positive. I mean, that's three games they're going to miss now. It's not fair. It doesn't make any sense to sit 21 days. And I get... Originally, they said, um, when they were coming back, they said, we want to have cardiac screening after you recover from disease because they want to save. But now, the Big Ten even stopped that cardiac screening because they said it was showing up in such few athletes that there was no point of even having these screenings anymore. So you're not even doing that. You're just making them sit for 21 days. It's, I just feel bad for them, and it's a ridiculous policy that no other sport, college, or professional, no other way of life is sitting out for 21 days after a positive test.
2: Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. You look at the Big Ten, obviously they weren't going to play this fall. They come back with the decision, and it just seems like, well, yeah, they're trying to be safe, but you look at the other conferences, and they've been going pretty smoothly for the most part, and the Big Ten has already had an issue where one of their star players tests positive after the first week of the season, and he's out three weeks. But back back to Graham Mertz, you really do feel for this kid, that he has to sit at least 21 days, and his team can't even play this week. Wisconsin's a team— that you're used to ground and pound, really running the ball down your throat and dominating and winning that way. Graham Mertz comes out with four touchdowns in the first half. <laughs>
0: yeah. I, we, we didn't record last week, but I texted you guys last week. I was really high on Grant Mertz. I think before week one, he was the real deal. And if he is, Wisconsin will really the real, real deal. He threw five touchdowns in the All-American Bowl, and you watch some of that tape. I mean, some of the throws he can make are amazing. He barely com- um, had any incompletions last week. I mean, this guy... It's a shame we're not gonna be able to see him play for another three weeks, but he is the real deal, and he will be for Wisconsin for a, a couple years to come.
2: Yeah, I mean, a special, special Wisconsin quarterback truly really makes that Wisconsin offense exciting to watch. Didn't think I'd ever say that when they're just handing the ball to Jonathan Taylor forty times a game, but
1: <laughs> not anymore. I mean, it's fun to watch now. And they also lost Jack Cohen, their quarterback, their star quarterback. Uh, to a foot surgery. I don't know his timetable. I don't think he has a timetable f- to return, but Wisconsin, when they return to play after this week, they're going to need some big help. They're already on their fourth-string quarterback, um, so they tr- they have to try and get Jack Cohen to uh, speed up his process in recovery. I don't know how they're going to do that or when he's supposed to come back, but they have to hope and pray that he's able to play as soon as possible with the loss of their second and third string now to covid And now they're on their fourth string quarterback. That's not a recipe to sit at the top of the Big Ten West.
2: Not a recipe at all. Shout out Jack Cohn, Strong Island, Seville. Yes, sir. But Mertz, COVID, the third string with COVID, you're down to your fourth string quarterback after maybe the most dominant opening week performance we've seen in the Big Ten. Yeah. It's not ideal. And you wonder how this affects other weeks. If COVID keeps running through the Wisconsin football program, what happens the next week with their next game? It it really is an interesting situation. It's going to be a week-by-week thing because no one's ever dealt with it before. And
0: I don't know if it's possible, but I hope the Big Ten revisits this policy in the next week or so. And I don't know if they're going to make a change. Probably not. But for the sake of the kids, for the sake of the athletes out there, I mean, you would really hope. I mean, my my stance on it is
1: I'm I'm a huge fan of testing every single day. Mm -hmm. I I think that's so important. And I remember before the season started, Maryland's team physician was saying that these tests are going to detect coronavirus before it becomes uh, contagious. So if that's actually the case, that really kind of limits the possibility of a whole program going down. Like we saw the St. Louis Cardinals, half their players tested positive in the middle of the season, the Miami Marlins, same thing. So I guess this kind of limits it to just a few guys and not a whole outbreak, but having them sit three weeks when the CDC has you at 10 days after testing positive and having symptoms. I think that's a little excessive. I understand the, the drive to kind of bring this season back and have it be safe. And, but, but all these players and all their families wanted them to play. And there was so many things let the kids play just so many things going around college football and they brought it back. But, I don't know how easy it will be for them to change that I agree. just because it's already it's already made. They're not going to go back on their word, I don't think.
2: Yeah, it really is a shame because all these other conferences kind of had some room by starting the season earlier and more on time than the Big Ten did. The Big Ten is really squeezing an eight- to nine-week season, yeah. so they don't really have much breathing room to make a change in their policy. Exactly. Wish they could,
0: but... And We, we all know how horrific the disease is. I mean, it goes without saying... But like this, just this just doesn't follow any reason. It doesn't follow logic to have them sit for three weeks. So again, I hope they revisit revisit it, but I don't I don't know if they will. And Penn State, we mentioned before, Noah Kane out for the year
1: with an injury, and they also lost Journey Brown. I think he's out for the year too with some off the field issues. I believe. Yeah, uh, that was so, their
0: original starting running back. Yeah,
1: and I think that's it's tough. Obviously, to lose those two guys, lose in week one, and then. Now you have to change that the rest of the week, or the rest of the season, trying to figure out your new star running back in Penn State.
2: Yeah, I mean, from, from Saquon to Journey Brown was supposed to be the next guy. Miles
1: Sanders, too. Yeah, Miles Sanders, too. a lot it, right? of elite yeah. running
2: backs. Yeah, that's, that's RBU in a way, Penn State. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and just around college football in general, outside of the Big Ten, in the SEC, Alabama stud-wide receiver. Jalen Waddell out for the year with a broken ankle. And Mississippi State star running back Kylan Hill, uh, he opts out to prep for the NFL draft. So he's first team All-SEC as well. Uh, So these are just kind of news around college football. And we'll look at primetime games in other conferences this week. LSU-Auburn is one of the better games of the year as well. Um, But LSU kind of has not lived up to obviously what they were last year, winning the national title, and having nearly their entire team go to the NFL draft. But they've been struggling. Um, And Auburn a little bit too here and there, losing to South Carolina. But I think
0: this is a good game for both of them to try and get a big win. I mean, I think we expected this from LSU in a way. I mean, we saw their entire offense go to the draft and leave. But, I mean, Miles Brennan had been solid when he was playing, and TJ Finland Finn Lee replaced him last week, and he was solid. I mean, I feel like they're, they're, it's a rebuilding year for them. They're building on the season. And so I think we expected this in some way. Auburn, on the other hand, I mean, Bo Mixon's been a little disappointing. Um, he's, he's been a little disappointing, and Auburn has too. I mean, losing to South Carolina was a huge loss. It kind of knocked them out of that SEC race. So, I mean, this this could have been more, um, more of an elite matchup. Both these teams are not ranked, but it should still be a, a good showdown.
2: Right. I mean, when the SEC on CBS picked this game to be their 3:30 game of the week, they're probably expecting absolutely not two and two and three and two teams uh, facing off. It's still a big game every time LSU and Auburn get together. But Miles Brennan, Coach O says, is likely going to be out again this Saturday as he continues to deal with the lower body injury that kept him out last week. TJ Finley will start again, and for Auburn, Bo Nix, like you said, Sam. Bo uh, Nix, bad, not Nix. He's he's been he's been pretty disappointing. He came in last year with sky high expectations, uh, starting as a true freshman. Only six touchdowns, four interceptions, and 1,100 yards so far this year. He could make a big statement here, turn around the season for Auburn. We'll see what happens. LSU is a slight favorite on the road, and the road games actually do matter in the SEC because they do have a lot of fans. Not <laughs> yeah, really sure what the house is actually. Not really sure what the COVID nineteen really, really sure deal is down there, Nothing but down the set. yeah.
1: You have games at Georgia, pretty much the whole stadium, just six feet
0: apart. It's kind of crazy. I mean, I was I was at South Carolina for South Carolina um, Auburn when they upset them, and I mean, there's no COVID rules down there. I'll, I'll put it at that. <laughs> and then another game in the Big Twelve, Texas and
1: Oklahoma State. Uh, I think that's another big game. Just whenever the, those two teams get up and and get get up against each other, Oklahoma State has really surprised me. Ranked six in the nation at four and zero, and Texas is kind of surprised me at three and two, so this is a big game for both as well.
2: Yeah, initially I thought Oklahoma State's high ranking at the start of the season was just a product of the Big Ten and the Pac-12 teams not being ranked because they weren't playing, but so far they've proved the doubters wrong. Four and zero, a big win versus Iowa State last week, and a blow. I mean, they've only played Kansas, West Virginia, and Tulsa before that. So this is a game on Fox, on national TV at four o'clock. To make a statement against a 3-2 and two Texas team, and let me just say something about Texas real quick. They come into the season with a high ranking every year. We know what happened with the two straight Maryland losses a few years back. I, th- I think it's enough with the Texas respect coming into the year. Obviously, they're a blue blood program. They always will be in college football, but what, what have they done in the past few years to prove that they're one of the elite teams in college football? Obviously, they're unranked now, 3-2, and 2-2 two, two and two in the Big 12. And they do have a chance to make a statement here on the road at number 6 Oklahoma State. But, I mean, me personally, I've had enough with the, the Texas hype. They come in overrated every single year. Yeah, I mean,
0: I couldn't agree more. They're absolutely overhyped every single year. And Sam Ellinger, who has an awesome arm, I mean, he can sling that thing like no one else in, in college football. Um, but he's he struggled a little bit with decision-making this year. I think that's contributed to some of Texas's loss. In terms of this game, I mean, Oklahoma State, like Big 12, we know they don't play a lot of defense, but they actually lead the Big 12 in defense. So he Sam Ellinger may struggle again this week.
2: Right. Oklahoma State's a legit defensive team, even in the Big 12. They're also a pretty well-rounded team offensively. You look at a guy like Chuba Hubbard, one of the best running backs in the nation. Uh, he has 478 yards already this year with five touchdowns. And a guy like Tylon Wallace, another star receiver, one of the best receivers in the nation for Oklahoma State. Those two guys – make up, I mean, with those two, that's one of the best skill position groups you'll see in the country. So Oklahoma State's a legit team, led by coach Mike Gundy. Obviously, if you follow college football, you know about him, yeah, his personality. No, oh, my God. So, they can really make a big statement against Texas this Saturday on Halloween. Should be a good one. I mean, Texas also has a chance to make a statement too. go to 4-2. They don't have any real college football playoff aspirations coming into this year anymore. But, could be a good game. We'll see what happens. Oklahoma State's legit, in my opinion.
1: And another game, not a primetime game, but anytime Clemson plays, you got to turn that game on, just to watch how good they really are. Six and zero, number one in the country, playing Boston College, who's four and two, and Trevor Lawrence is just—he's absurd. He's one of the best, number one future number one draft picks. I think uh, I'm not going to predict what he'll do in the NFL. Hopefully, as a New York Jets New York fan, Jet. he gets picked by the Jets. But But he's just been phenomenal. He already almost has 2,000 yards. He has 17 touchdowns, two picks, Travis Etienne at running back, 83 carries, 522 yards, and eight touchdowns. I mean, these guys are just phenomenal college football players. I think they have a chance to win the national title, obviously. Um, we'll see how all that goes with COVID and everything, and if they can stay afloat with that, but... They haven't, their closest margin of victory was beating Virginia 41 23. I mean, they beat Georgia Tech 73 7. Their hardest test was number seven, Miami, at the time. They won 42 17. That was college game day. They just shine in the bright lights, and they are so
0: good. I mean, yeah, I mean, Clemson, Clemson is the top of the top of college football right now. They should be the national um, title contenders and they've just steamrolled everyone they've played. But actually, they've only covered the spread once once or twice this entire year. So, I mean, their spreads that they're coming in with are huge. And they're not – I mean, they're. I can't blame them that they're maybe overlooking teams a little bit, not coming with as much enthusiasm because they just know they're so much more talented than the other, these other teams. But they haven't – they've been a little laxed against certain teams. Against BC this week, I mean, I, another it's, it's another huge spread – I'm not sure if they'll cover it, but I I know they'll dominate throughout the entire game, and yeah, Clemson's the top. I'd love to see them play someone elite,
2: but we'll see. I mean, they they didn't have a problem covering the uh, 65 and a half point spread versus Georgia Tech and 66. That was the one. Yeah, but Clemson, they really are the golden standard in college football. They've become the the Alabama of the East Coast, the Atlantic Coast. It's them and Bama. I mean, they're 6-0 this year for a reason. Trevor Lawrence is one of the most special talents we've seen in college football. 17 touchdowns, only two interceptions this year, almost 2,000 yards in just six games. He'll hit 2,000 against Boston College this Saturday. We'll see what happens with Clemson. 31-point favorites. Don't think they'll have any problem with Boston College Saturday. It will be a problem if they do have a problem with Boston College. But Lawrence, ETN, Amari Rogers, the talent goes on and on for Clemson. And... They really are appointment TV anytime they're on, like you said, Matt.
1: So we'll get into our sort of sports betting segment here. We're not going to tell you to slam anything. We're not going to tell you what to bet on. We're not responsible if you lose. We have to put that out there. But we're going to take our biggest lock of the week.
0: We could take Moneyline or Spread. We're just doing one of few. And then we could take, uh, yeah, just name it, whatever you want, Sam. <laughs> um. All right. So I'm going to start with Arkansas, plus 12 and a half against Clemson. Arkansas is 4-0 against the spread this year. I mean, Arkansas was a program that was ab- absolute rock bottom. Sam Pittman really just rebooted their entire program. They're no longer the laughingstock of the SEC. Texas a doesn't put up a ton of points. It should be a low-scoring defensive battle. This spread just seems way too high for that kind of game. I think Arkansas can stick around most of the game. I wouldn't be completely shocked if they win, but I mean, this double-digit point spread is too high for me, so Arkansas
2: plus 12.5 is my pick. Yeah, there were a few that stood out to me this week. Um, I think, like Matt said, I'm gonna have to go with Iowa minus two and a half at home against Northwestern. If you expect them to win that game, they're gonna win by more than the field goal. I think I think they might win by double digits. Northwestern, obviously, a great performance against Maryland, but Iowa's coming in statement game with a chip on their shoulder after a tough loss to Purdue in Week One. I think Iowa wins seven to ten. I'll cool. Give you that margin. Wow. I'll give you.
0: Score would be seven to (laughs) ten. No, no, no.
2: Between between seven and ten points.
1: I'll give you an ACC lock. UNC minus seven. You could buy half a point, make it minus six and a half. They're playing Virginia. North Carolina's been phenomenal this year. Uh, Four and one, and Virginia's one and four. So, an eight PM game on the ACC network. I think North Carolina covers that. No problem for them. Fifteenth in the country now. As for the Big Ten, I think Maryland covers the 20 and a half, or 19.5. Yeah. It's listed on ESPN, 20.5 on some other sites. Um, I think it's closer to 20.5 from what I've seen, more of that number. But I think Maryland will come out and surprise a lot of people in this game. I might be a little optimistic for the team that I cover, but uh, they are going up against a depleted Minnesota defense who has lost a lot of talent headlined by Antoine Winfield in the draft. Um, So Maryland can have a chance to attack. If they can figure out how to move the football a little bit better than they did against Northwestern, they only ran, I think it was 49 plays offensively against Northwestern. Loxley said yesterday they want to be running around 80 every game, 80 plays offensively. So if they get that number closer to that, I think there's a chance that – I don't think Maryland wins the game, but they can – they can lose within 20 points. Uh,
2: You'd like to see the Terps be competitive. Yeah. Friday night, primetime, at home, homecoming. I, even thought the, any fans.
0: I thought Maryland was going to cover last week. Clearly didn't happen. I'm going to stay away from that one this week. So thank you for joining us for the first ever episode of Collegiate
1: Chaos. We'll be doing this weekly. And Ben and Sam, appreciate you guys for the first episode here. And you're listening to WMUC Sports Radio, your Terps, your station. Awesome debut! Let's go!